Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast, episode number five. I am your host, Rick Verbanis, and I am joined by my partner, Bob Lucius. Bob, how you doing today? Oh, man, Rick, I am so excited for today's episode. I've been looking forward to this all week. I know, right? We've got uh, a really special guest. Uh, Bob Sharon's going to be joining us here in a moment, and we get uh, to talk with him. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, we've certainly been saying his name a lot in our last few podcasts. Uh, last one, we were going over the Deathlock Lives series with uh, art by Mark Zeck and John Beatty. And of course, Bob Sharon's the colorist. And then in episode three, we talked about the Bloodstone Hunt with Kieran Dwyer. And uh, of course, Bob Sharon was the colorist there. So yeah, yeah, we've been saying his name a lot. So it's, it's going to be fun to, to finally talk with him. Yeah, well, let's hit it. Well, before we do, I just wanted to point out, we had another listener leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. This one comes from, I'm going to say Isle Man. It's I-L-E space man. I don't know if it's Isle Man, Illman. Well, let's go with Isle Man. So his is titled, From a Cap Fan, and it's five stars. And he wrote, ran across these two podcasts about Captain America. You can tell the knowledgeable passion and excitement these guys have for the subject. Great to hear from the grandson of the creator in the second of the series. Uh, so I guess he was referring after listening to episode two, where we interviewed Jesse Simon, grandson of Joe Simon. So thanks, Eilman. We appreciate your review. And if you want to leave us a five-star review on Apple or iTunes uh, and get uh, listed here, um, on the next podcast, um, we'll, we'll randomly pick someone. So uh, please do leave those reviews. We really do appreciate it. Okay, now it's time to bring in our guest. Bob, I, uh, I'm pretty excited about talking with our next guest, Bob Sharon. If that name's familiar, it's because you've read a comic book in 80s and 90s, because his name was in it as, as the, a longtime legendary colorist for Marvel Comics. Bob Sharon has colored over 1,500 different comics, and that is over 33,000 different pages. And I'm going to put that in perspective for you, Bob, okay? Legendary artist Jack Kirby, guess how many pages he did? Um, who knows? I don't know, 10, 15, maybe? I don't know. Okay. 15,000? 19,000. Wow. Okay. 19,000. And Bob yeah. Sharon has done 33,000 pages. Holy so cow. I know. So we're in the midst of greatness here when it comes to Marvel comics. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to introduce our next guest, Bob Sharon. Bob, how are you? Good. Welcome to the show. We're very excited to have you. So were, were you strictly Marvel all during that time? Or, or did you did you color with uh, any other publishers? At uh, the very end of my illustrious career, I did some work for Tom DeFalco on Image. Gotcha. And I, I like what you did there with illustrious career. No, no pun intended. <laughs> so, oh, so, wait, am I getting paid for this? <laughs> <laughs> Checks in the mail, Bob. Okay. Uh, so for so those for, who aren't familiar with how comics were, were actually hand-colored back, back then, because you started in, in the, the late 70s, uh, did so many 
issues, like I mentioned, in the 80s and 90s. So back then they were hand colored. And, and if you could maybe take us through the process from, from when you received the pages to when they were published, tell the listeners, how did, how did that work? Well, we colored with Dr. Martin's watercolors. And initially, we colored on stat paper, photostat paper, which was basically photographic paper. And it was, <clears throat> it was really a pain because it didn't absorb the color very well. What we had to do was uh, have a little stack of blotters next to the table. And when we tried to get the color to uh, adhere to the paper, there was too much ink because it didn't absorb it. So we had to blot it and it was really a pain. But many years, not too many years later, I forget exactly when, they switched over to Xeroxing. So we got books on basically regular Xerox paper. The paper was better sometimes than others, but when the paper was good, it was a lot easier to use and color on. Plus, Marvel gave us a lot of free supplies. I guess that's one of the fringe benefits. Uh, so like, how often did you make a mistake? You know, because with, with that many pages that you're doing, right? I mean, if, if you, you make a mistake, uh, how often does that happen where you had to, to start over from scratch? Or, 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 what, or what did happen? Um, well, I don't remember ever making any serious mistakes. <laughs> but... Um, they're fixable with bleach. You could just bleach out the Dr. Martens and let the bleach dry and start over. So for the original art collectors out there, uh, and, and I'm starting to get into that uh, over the last couple of years, I noticed that there, most of the original art is, is, in the, is black and white. But there, there's other, I've seen other types of art out there that's, that's colored. Yeah, one. I mean, I think one of the terms we we often hear thrown around are color guides, and I think for the for the benefit of a lot of listeners, can you can you kind of explain to us what those color guides are and what they're used for? Sure. First of all, we had a limited palette back in the day of sixty four colors. To make things easier for the color separators, so they wouldn't screw things up, which they managed to do anyway, uh, we would write the color codes on the actual color guide, uh, percentages of red, yellow, and blue, so they would actually know which area was which percentages of color. That sounds highly precise. The limited palette was interesting because you had to make choices based on what you could use rather than what you might want to use. Later on, and I don't remember, I'm trying to remember when, because we had a color chart from the separators um, showing what, it each, what each color looked like in print that we just stuck up in front of our drawing boards. The original one was 64 colors. I believe they went to double that. Not exactly sure how many colors it was. Maybe it was a double, but we got to do more eventually. And so we just had to write in different percentages and so we had a bigger palette, which was good. You colored 70 issues of Captain America back in the 1980s. So I believe your, your first cap issue was in 1979. It was number 231. And then you did 238. 
And then you came back with issue 246 and then proceeded to color 45 of the next 55 issues. It's quite a run. Uh, you left after issue 301, and then you came back for a few issues in the 330s. And then starting with 340, you worked on the next 22, 22 of the next 26 issues, not to mention a few cap annuals too. So you, you worked with some amazing art teams uh, for Captain America, like John Byrne and Joe Rubenstein, Mike Zeck and John Beatty, Kieran Dwyer. So maybe we could go through a couple of those art teams that you worked with, right? Uh, and and I, know, I know we're asking a lot here because you, you did so many and it was a long time ago. So I'm just curious, what stands out about your time with John Byrne and Joe Rubenstein? Well, first of all, the workflow was determined by the editor at the time, which was uh, for those issues that you mentioned, uh, the first ones were uh, Roger Stern, and the rest of the most were Jim Salkrup or Ralph Macchio. And if the editors were, uh, how can I put this? They were doing their jobs right. Everything ran well and everything was in succession because you have to remember the colorist is the last guy in line in the process. So if anybody is late on their deadlines before the colorist, the colorist gets squeezed for time, which is not comfortable. But uh, Sal Krupp and Ralph were pretty good editors, which is why I colored a whole bunch of runs for them well, without too much problem. But in terms of the guys doing the actual art with, with the John Byrne run, you can't get a better anchor than Joe Rubenstein. Uh, their styles really, really matched well. Uh, same with Zach and Beatty and Kieran Dwyer and Al Milgram too. Um, they, uh, they seem to click. So those were all really good books to work on. Were there, were there any characters in particular that, uh, in these sorts of uh, runs that you found particularly challenging to, uh, to work with? No, um, we always got good color reference along with, uh, with the books if we needed it. And so our job really, since we knew the color schemes of the characters, was just to make them look good with, uh, you know, the right backgrounds and the right lighting, too. A lot of times, the artists, uh, especially uh, Byrne and Zek, uh, they really indicated good light sources in the black and white art. If they didn't, it was our job as the colorists to indicate those light sources and make it more interesting. It was always a challenge. Uh, we basically took the art that already had a certain mood established, but we had to accentuate that mood. That was fun. Bob, I've noticed that uh, pencilers and inkers get, uh, get credit for their work on covers, but uh, rarely colorists. Why? I mean, why is that? Well, first of all, we rarely got covers along with the pages of the interiors because the editors love to keep messing with the way the covers looked because they're conscious of the fact that that was the first thing that the fans saw 
And so they would, they would have somebody color up a cover in the office and look at it and say, well, let's do this instead, blah, 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 blah. And they could never do that by, because we all work with FedEx. So by the time pages got sent back and forth with changes, it was insane. So 99% of the covers got colored that way in the office. And that's why people usually didn't get credit because it was some knucklehead in the bullpen who finally did the, the, the version that the editor liked. And so they, they didn't get any credit. And I probably did, I would say, under five covers that I can remember wow. having sent to me with the rest of the book. And I couldn't tell you what books those were. It was so rare to get a cover that was actually more fun, but it didn't happen very often. <laughs> That's fascinating. Having colored over 1,500 Marvel comics, there are several iconic issues that you were part of. Uh, you know, you, you did a lot of, of Spider-Man, right? So you, you did, uh, I want to say, according to what I've read, like 167 Amazing Spider-Man, 97 Spectacular Spider-Man, 64 Web of Spider-Man, and, and others as well. And so among these, you did uh, Amazing Spider-Man 245, which was the, the famous Hobgoblin issue, um, Amazing Spider-Man 300, production of Venom, uh, Spider-Man number one, the Todd McFarlane. And then you did a lot of other uh, amazing issues. Um, so you did a few John Byrne, X-Men, Dark Phoenix issues back in, I think, 1980. You did some Frank Miller, Daredevil. Uh, you, you did the first Scott Lang as Ant-Man in, in Marvel premiere number 47. Are, are there any that really stand out that you, you take pride in that you were involved in these historic monumental issues? Um, to tell you the truth, each job was pretty much the same. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm not a real. I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. I took pride pride in my work. I was always a perfectionist. I always tried to get things as perfect as possible. Which is one thing the editors liked about me. Number one, I never missed a deadline ever. That's wow. really important when you work in comics, especially if you're the colorist who's the last guy in line, because if I miss the deadline, the book misses shipping. So that's a big no-no. Right. Colorists who miss their deadlines didn't last long. And the editors really appreciated the fact that I took a lot of pride in my work. It was, if you look, if you have ever seen different color guides by different people, a lot of them are rushed and they're a little sloppy um, I really tried to make mine, even though it didn't matter that much because they were all just indicators to the separators. I always tried to make mine look as much as the printed book would look as I possibly could. I was just a real stickler for that. Mm-hmm. So consequently, I, the reason I colored all those books was I was good and I was dependable, which is, you know, slapping myself on the back maybe. But um, if if you do those two things, then the editors like you and they give you work. You know that you know, that is so true. Uh, I want to say, gosh, fifteen twenty years ago, I interviewed artist Mark Bagley, and I asked him how he got so much work, and he said that in this industry, that you need to have two 
of the following three qualities if you're going to get consistent work. You need to have talent, be good at what you do. You need to be dependable, make your deadlines. So those two things you said. And the third thing is you need to be a nice guy. You need to be somebody that's easy to work with. The editors, you know, can can give advice and you follow it. And he said, you don't have to have all three, but you need to have two. So you can be a talented person that uh, makes their deadlines, but a, the biggest jerk in the world, you'll probably still get work. Or you can be a, uh, a really um, nice guy that makes all his deadlines, but maybe not the top talent, but you're going to get work and, and so on. So uh, he's, and I asked him, it's funny. I asked him, so which two do you have? He goes, Oh, of course I have all three. So, uh, <laughs> but, but anyway, so, so yeah. And, and I've, I've talked with other creators over the years and uh, they've all agreed with that story. And it sounds like uh, Bob that, you know, at the very least you have, you have two of those three. And I like to think you're a pretty nice guy, at least, at least for my interaction with you, in the Captain America comic book Facebook page. Uh, so, so you have that go for you too. Yeah. Well, it's really a good idea in comics to try to get along with your editors. I mean, it's nice if you get along with the other guys to work on the book, but you know, that's not really necessary. <laughs> the editors are the important guys. All right. I have to ask you a question. Speaking of the Captain America comic book fans, Facebook group, right? You're, you're, you're pretty active in that group. And one thing that, that I seem to see from you, uh, whenever we post any of the Captain America work done by Rob Liefeld, uh, you, you, you seem to have a pretty strong opinion on him. I have pretty strong opinions on him in terms of an artist, because I never met him. He's probably a nice guy. And uh, McFarland's the other guy. So, so tell us uh, why you have such strong opinions, uh, at least on Rob Liefeld, because, you know, when we, we post, you know, the Heroes, was it, was it uh, Heroes Reborn? Heroes Reborn. Yes, uh, that, that is, that's quite the controversial post uh, whenever that comes up on a, on a monthly basis, because we do those daily flashbacks. For and, a lot of uh, folks. Uh, we get, we get uh, quite the uh, amount of uh, pros and cons. And uh, so, so tell us a little bit about your thoughts on that. Well, both of those guys sort of learned to draw on the fly. Um, I can't believe that they got popular not knowing how to draw. Um, like when I colored the McFarland Spider-Man number one, I just slapped my forehead when I looked at some <laughs> of that art. Like I'm thinking to myself, does the guy know that there's a skull inside a human head? <laughs> Is that why, <laughs> you know, um, it just baffled me, but uh, it well, was popular. That must have made it a bit challenging to color then. If, if well, the, if the anatomy isn't quite what you expect. No, it's um, it's all the same. You know, you make yeah. a head flesh colored, whether it's drawn right <laughs> or not. <laughs> but the other thing that bothered me was the was the uh, the panel structure. 
uh, was a little wacky, and I don't think it really helped the story much. But, you know, the guy got famous on it, so what the heck. Yeah. But I don't think I ever actually colored a Liefeld job, not that I remember anyway. So which which comics? Because you do you do a lot of shows, right? You back back when we had shows, uh, you would do some cons. Um, what what comics do you see most at the shows when people bring something to you to get signed? Well, you know the ones you would expect, like Spider Man three hundred, the McFarlane, you know one two three four uh, Spider Man runs. You know anything that uh, that I worked on that was a real hot book is usually what. Uh, guys bring up to get signed so speaking of shows i i have to talk about my mike zek john Beatty, captain america commission that you hand colored for me so uh in 2019 i went to the baltimore comic-con and um rushed to get uh on zek's uh list um, so that uh, he could do a, a Captain America, and he he drew this this really nice uh, homage kind of bust to Captain America's two seventy five uh, back cover, where he's kind of you know looking up at the and he's got his mouth open and he's angry, and um, it's a really nice sketch. And then of course John Beatty is as you mentioned, uh, you know being his longtime anchor, just you know finally settling into to uh, that that duo uh, was just amazing. Uh, I had uh, John uh, photocopy the the sketch by Zach so that I could have the pencils and the inked version next to each other. I had the opportunity to work with you, where I gave you a high res copy of the inked original, and you hand colored it for me. And uh, now I have all three of them framed together. And it's an amazing, it's, it's one of the things that people remark the most when, they, when I show them my, my, my original art, my sketches. They, they, just, they see the transformation that these three uh, masters of their work uh, do. Um, so can you, can you take us through that process of, of hand coloring uh, that you do for commissions? First of all, that job is a lot of fun just to see the pencils and the inks right next to each other. And after I colored it, of course, I got to see all three together, um, which was really great. That's the only job that I've been offered where the, the three stages of the process were all gathered together in one place, which is really nice. Yeah. <clears throat> but in, term, in terms of hand coloring um, fan art, well, I just approach it like I used to in the old day, which, uh, you know, was just sit down and have fun with it. Because of the job that I did for you, I got more interested in trying to give fans the alternative of either coloring on the original, which a lot of people don't want. They want the original black and white art pristine. So I just get a nice high-res scan printed on really good Bristol paper and hand color that. So they've got the black and white and the colored version to hang side by side. And it, it, it does make for a really uh, amazing display. 
right? Because I, I'm looking at it right now <clears throat> and uh, I have it, I have it stacked vertically. I mean, you could do it horizontally, but I, it just looked really good vertically because I thought your eyes flow, right? Your eyes kind of flow through the process a little bit more. And if, I, if you really think about it, of these three images that are framed, two of them are originals, right? So the, the pencils is just a, it's a copy, right? Because uh, John Beatty inked Mike's originals. So the, the penciled inked version is in the middle. And then your version, which is hand colored, is also an original, really, if you think about it. So it, it just adds to the whole experience. And I'll, I'll, I'll add this to you. I don't think I ever told you this, Bob, but I'm also a member of a, uh, the Mike Zek Facebook page, which you know Mike obviously uh, sees and is a part of. And I, when I got this, I posted it. And uh, Mike's comments were, when he saw your colors, his comments were, the cherry on top. And I thought that was a nice, nice salute to, to your work. I'm in that group too. And I think I actually remember seeing that. Yep. So how can fans get in touch with you if, if they want to have their original art or their high res copy hand colored by the master Bob Sharon? Well, right now it's just Facebook. I don't have a website right now. Uh, yeah, Facebook is the thing right now. I have an album of all the stuff that I've hand-colored on my Facebook page. People can check that out and just message me. Excellent. And also, too, if they they, they want to just uh, chat with you about uh, about comics, especially Captain America comics, they can come to our Facebook group, which is Captain America comic book fans, and, and uh, chat with you that way as well. So Bob, this was this was great. Uh, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us and, and take us through the process and, and uh, share some memories too. It was a lot of fun and and uh, we hope to, to ch- chat with you more in the Facebook group. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, well, that was a lot of fun. We uh, appreciated Bob coming on and speaking with us. Um, so for the next episode, we are going to be getting into a... Um, uh, sometimes controversial storyline. And for those out there, the uh, the old guys at Love Cap, Steve Englehart is certainly one of the, um, I guess, beloved writers that, uh, that came. Um, he was the first one really to do a long run uh, after Stan Lee. And, uh, and I say old guys, uh, because I'm an old guy, you're an old guy, right? So we're, we, we, we go back and we have uh, some fond memories of, of stuff from our childhood. And so when Steve Englehart joined the Captain America series, um, he started with a bang. His first four issues were going into visioning the 1950s Captain America meeting the current Captain America. And so we're going to be exploring Captain America issues 153 through 156. 
Yeah, it's a it's a great story, Rick. And you know, and I mean, a lot of folks uh, had uh, had been concerned about the paradox of the 1950s Cap, considering how they they retcon Cap in Avengers Four, which we which we discussed uh, in our first podcast, our uh, second podcast. But uh, you know, there, this has been a controversial storyline from the time that it was introduced and continues to be much talked about. So it's going to be a great show. Yeah. Yep. And you know, I know as you mentioned, a lot of our uh, Facebook group members. Uh, we have 2,400 of them out there, right? And whenever we talk about the this storyline, it, it certainly gets a lot of response. So we'd like to actually hear from you. So if you want to leave a message, uh, a voice message, you know, I'm trying to keep it 60 seconds or less, um, you can go on to our anchor page, which you can find in our show notes, and go on there and record a message and uh, tell us, you know, what you'd like us to talk about or give your thoughts, or maybe even ask a question about this, these uh, Captain America 153 through 156. So that'll be, uh, be fun to listen, uh, hear some of, from some of our, our listeners as well. All right, so that wraps us up. And uh, thanks, everybody. Uh, and as always, Bob, it's, uh, it's been fun wrapping cap with you. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you.